Father, we come before you this evening, Lord, and we just want to give thanks and praise you for your graciousness, Lord, for your word, your scriptures, Lord, where you have so gracefully and lovingly revealed yourself to us broken, fallen sinners, Lord, that we may know you and know what it is that your plan for this, this planet, this, these people, Lord, us, what it is you're doing throughout history, you have made us aware and you have given us your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, that for all who shall believe in him, Lord, through faith, Lord, that we will never be cast out of your presence, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, and as the word goes forth tonight, Lord, I pray for open ears and open hearts, Lord, and that the Holy Spirit may move and go before me and bring people into a greater understanding and appreciation for you and your son, for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like to apologize. I, I didn't get the title of the sermon in uh, to the ministration in time. So in case you're wondering, the title of the sermon tonight is called Preoccupied with Grace. And we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. So to be preoccupied or preoccupation, as Webster's Merriam, Dic Dic Merriam Dictionary would define it, is that it is to give all or most of your attention to something. And I'm sure that if we were to go around the room tonight, this evening at this evening service, and ask everybody here, including myself, what is it that preoccupies, preoccupies your life, would probably have a varied response. Some of you might say that your finances or your career is your preoccupation of your life. Worry over finances may cause us to spend long hours at work trying to earn as much as we can or earn that promotion that will secure us a greater position with greater pay. Or maybe our job is not the greatest. It's what some might call a dead-end job. And the thought of never moving on to something better scares us and keeps us awake at night and causes us to be in this constant state of worry and anxiousness. Maybe for some of us, we are preoccupied with our health. The fear of getting sick or becoming terminally ill is something that consumes us. We dread that phone call that brings the results of a recent blood test or MRI, fearing the news that we receive is not the news that we want. Or maybe we spend our days shoving our mouths full of kale and blueberries while we stand in line at Lassen's or Trader Joe's with a basket full of organic and non-GMOs. <laughs> now, to be fair, none of these things in and of themselves are bad things. We should be seeking to work hard and provide for our families and to support the mission of the church. It's a good desire to be good at what you do and to seek advancement in your, in your field or your line of work. We should be concerned with our health and be good stewards of the body that the good Lord has given us and not to seek to do unnecessary damage to it. But there is a line that we can cross where we go from being aware of certain things that are in our lives and to being preoccupied by them. Success, money, acceptance, entertainment, power, fame, you name it, I'm sure there is a multitude of people across our nation and even within the church 
that are giving either all or most of their attention to something. And what I'll be seeking to convince you of tonight is that there is only one thing that we as Christians should find worthy enough to have consume us, to preoccupy us. And that is the grace of God made known to us in the saving work of Jesus Christ through his life, his death, and his resurrection. No matter what we face in this life, no matter what we are called to endure or suffer through, being preoccupied by the grace of God made known to us through our salvation in Jesus Christ will give us the power we need to per persevere through all that may come our way. So we're going to pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels long to look. Now this salvation mentioned here by Peter in verse 10 is the same salvation that is, was just previously mentioned in verse 9. It is the salvation that is the outcome of our faith. It is the salvation that is the salvation of our souls. And as the scriptures teach, and I'm sure that most of us, and not all of us are aware here at Grace, this salvation is an act of grace by a sovereign God who had established in eternity past this awesome plan of redemption for wretched, broken, helpless sinners like me and like you. This has always been the plan of God. And the theme of salvation is the, and the redemptive work of God to reconcile sinners to himself through his son, is the focus of the entire Bible. In Genesis 3, after the fall, the Lord curses the serpent and proclaims that one will come and crush his head and defeat him. In Psalm 2, there is reference to one who Yahweh calls his son. And the final verse in that Psalm says that blessed are all who take refuge in him. In Isaiah 53, we read that one would come who would pour out his soul to death. He would be numbered with the transgressors. He would bear the sin of many and make intercession for the transgressors. Really, the Old Testament's entire purpose was to point the people of God and to prepare them for the Messiah that would, that would come. In Luke 24, after the resurrection, the risen Christ explains to two disciples on the road to Emmaus that the suffering of, Christ, of the Christ was necessary to enter into his glory and that he began with Moses and the law and all the prophets, and he interpreted to them all in the scriptures the things concerning himself. So we see traces and shadows of this salvation, this grace through the whole Old Testament. And the prophets who prophesied of this grace, Peter says, searched and inquired carefully. 
inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The prophets in their writings and their visions had only a partial understanding of just exactly what it was and who it was they were prophesying about. But here's what they did know. They knew that God was holy and that mankind was not. They knew that according to God's law, every single person is guilty of cosmic treason. We are rebels by our very nature. They knew that all have fallen woefully short of God's standard and rightfully deserve the wrath of God that was looming over their heads. They understood from God's self-revelation, his promises to his people, and even in the giving of the law, that the God of Israel was a gracious and merciful God. He didn't have to reveal himself to anyone. He didn't have to make any promises. The law that he gave them, the law, was an act of grace. It showed his people how to relate to the creator of the universe. It was a means to blessing. And it showed them their sin. It showed them their need for a savior, their need for a redeemer, for a messiah. It showed them that their need, it showed them their need for a type of grace that had been revealed to them, but had not yet been fully experienced. So the prophets... They made it their lives work to study and search the scriptures and to ponder the revelation that they had been given about this grace. These words, searched and inquired, imply an intense searching or studying of this grace to come. A diligent seeking out of when and in whom this grace would come. They were giving all their thought and attention to this grace. They were preoccupied with this grace to come then it was revealed to them that the very thing that they had committed themselves to so diligently, the very thing they had preoccupied themselves with, was something that they, the Old Testament prophets, in their lifetime would never fully experience. Peter says in the beginning of verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, puts it like this. What else then was this, but that they, the Old Testament prophets, had spread the table that others might feed on the provisions that laid on it? They indeed tasted by faith of those things which the Lord has by their hands transmitted to be enjoyed by us. And they also partook of Christ as the real food of their souls. But what is spoken of now is the exhibition of this blessing. And we know that the prophetic office was confined as it were within limits in order that they might support themselves and others with hope of Christ who was to come. So let's keep going back to verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So now we see that this salvation, this grace that was to come 
that the Old Testament prophets prophesied about and preoccupied themselves with has now come and is now being announced and preached by the apostles and the disciples of the first century. They're proclaiming the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're devoting their lives to this message, which brings me to my next point, that the apostles and the disciples in the first century church were preoccupied with the grace that had come. Allow me for the sake of time to just read a few passages to kind of make my point. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It was Paul's mission in life, to know Jesus Christ and him crucified and to proclaim that to others. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 16, concerning the gospel and the opposing false teachings of the time, uh, Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed having nothing to do with their reverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers in an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So I believe it's safe to say that the lives of the apostles and the disciples of the first century church were marked by an intense devotion and preoccupation with this grace that had been revealed to them. This salvation in the risen Christ was all that mattered, and neither mockery, shunning, threats of violence, or even death could take their focus off this hope. So why were these prophets and apostles and these disciples so devoted so preoccupied with this message of grace? Well, I believe very simply that the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles and disciples were preoccupied with this revelation of grace because of the Holy Spirit that was dwelling in them. This salvation, this grace, is the preoccupation 
of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you, you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The theme of scripture is God saving his people. The reason this is the main theme is because it was written down and proclaimed by the prophets and apostles who were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit that had revealed to them way back in the Old Testament that one was coming who would suffer and die for his people. He would take upon himself the punishment belonging to wicked sinners and by doing so would enter into his glory. It was the Holy Spirit dwelling inside the apostles and the disciples that emboldened them to go and proclaim the gospel to Jew and Gentile alike, regardless of the consequences that may have followed, regardless of the hardships that they might face or the persecution that they might have to endure. They were preoccupied with this salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Because the Spirit of God himself is preoccupied with it. It is the theme of the entire Bible. It is like a crimson cord running through the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And it is so mind-blowing, and as Pastor Benji said this morning, so weird of a grace that the angels of heaven, the heavenly hosts, are themselves preoccupied with this grace. Peter ends this passage saying, things, the grace and the salvation, the mysterious dynamic of this plan of redemption, these things into which angels long to look. The language used here describes a sort of a stooping down and, and trying to, to, to figure out and, and just being amazed by what's going on. Can you imagine that? Angels who are forever in the presence of God offering up praise and worship to him forever and ever. They look down at what is taking place in this world and they see how God is rescuing and reconciling fallen sinful humans to himself and they are amazed. You see, the prophets of the Old Testament they can understand salvation in a way that angels can't. The apostles, the disciples in the New Testament, you, me, we can understand salvation in a way that they can't. And never will. Why? Because we are sinful. We understand our need for a Savior, our need for grace, our need for mercy and forgiveness. The angels have no need for any of that. So this work of grace that we are experiencing intrigues them. They look intently at what God is doing. They preoccupy themselves with the grace of God, a grace that they themselves have never needed. So, 
What is Peter's point to these elect exiles in this region? What is the point of this passage? Why did he feel it necessary to include this passage here? Why didn't he, after his opening verses where he identifies these recipients as elect exiles who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, after talking about their great faith and love for Jesus and their inheritance to come, why didn't he just move right on into the imperatives that we're going to look at next week and the rest of this first chapter? Because I believe he was trying to send a message to these believers. These elect exiles. A message that said, look at how amazing of a salvation we have. Look how great of a grace we have received from our Lord. It captivated and preoccupied the thoughts and minds of the Old Testament prophets who didn't fully understand and even after learning that it wasn't something that they would be experienced, that would be experienced by them in their lifetime, it was still the hope that consumed them. And those apostles and disciples and their experiencing of it were so consumed and preoccupied with this grace that they risked it all. They were willing to lose it all, including their lives, in order that the rest of the world may know of and taste of the goodness of Christ. It was the focus and preoccupation of the Holy Spirit through his inspiration to make known to those servants of God the sufferings and the glories of Christ and the grace that would be delivered to these believers by his finished work. Look at how even the angels marvel at this grace. And I can almost hear Peter telling these recipients, if the Spirit of God and the angels of God and the prophets and apostles of God are caught up with and preoccupied with this great grace, then you, then we should be too. In all of God's creation, there is nothing else like, and nothing even comes close to being worthy to being compared to it, that God in Jesus Christ entered it into our world, took on human flesh solely for the purpose of dying on behalf of sinners. From the very beginning, the Lord had determined that the path of victory would lead straight to the cross. It is through the suffering and the death of Christ and through his resurrection three days later that the grace and glory of God is manifested to this world. As it went with Jesus Christ, first affliction and then glory. So it must go for his church. If the head was struck down and suffered, why should not the body be struck down and suffer also? Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And if he was cast away and rejected and persecuted, we must not expect anything less for ourselves. However, just like his sufferings led to his glorification, so we can rest assured that no matter what evil we may face in life, as God's elect, our exile will not be forever. God will call us home. And all the suffering, all the trials, all the hardship that we had endured for the sake of Christ will result in our glorification with him. This was the message that the believers who Peter was writing to needed to hear. They were going through some extremely tough times and they needed to preoccupy themselves with the grace that God had poured out on them 
in the finished work of Christ. And I know that this is the message that we need to hear and proclaim today. What are you preoccupying yourselves with? What is consuming your thoughts today? What are you giving most of or all of your attention to? Brothers and sisters, there is only one thing worthy and powerful enough to sustain you through your most difficult times. When that dark night of the soul comes upon you, and it will, there is only one thought, one truth that we should be preoccupying ourselves with, and that is the grace of God made known to us through the life, death, and the glorious resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no hope apart from him. So I'll leave you with this. Read of him and his grace. Meditate on him and his grace. Pray about, sing about, talk about him and his grace. Preoccupy yourself with him and what he has done for you. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you, Lord, and I know that there is many times, days throughout the week, Lord, I am not preoccupying myself with you and your grace that has been just lavished upon me. And when I don't do that, it's evident because it affects everything in me and in everything around me. Lord, help me to be amazed. Help me to be in awe and help me to preoccupy myself and ourselves here tonight, Lord, with the amazing grace through salvation of your son, Jesus Christ, that has been given to us, Lord. Let us never grow apathetic to this truth. Let us never see it as a secondary issue or as just a part of our lives, but the very center of our lives, how we see everything in this world, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy, for your love and your kindness your devotion to your people, Lord. By your grace, help us to be devoted to you. In Jesus' name, amen.